Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Phil Dobby, and this time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, the perils of population growth. Does the population need to continue growing for us to have economic growth, or is there a better way forward? Well, the population of most developed countries is not actually growing a great deal, less than 1%. In France last year, it was 0.4%, the US 0.7%, the UK 0.8%. In fact, if we track population growth for the UK since the 1960s, it's never grown more than 0.8% in any one year. Australia, a country that's actively tried to grow through an expanding population, growth there is 1.4% per year, although it has been over 2% in recent years. But even so, Steve, I mean, these figures don't don't seem like big figures. It sounds like we should be able to manage growth levels uh, with, you know, we should be able to accommodate populations when they're growing. Not a great deal. I mean, this sounds all containable, doesn't it? We should. And this is one of the reasons that I get uh, fairly frustrated with uh, mainstream economists and also people in policy. They just want a bigger number for GDP growth. So they, in fact, on the basis that uh, population growth is one of the contributors to GDP growth, they want to uh, there's this general thing oh we, we we have to have more people being born uh, being born otherwise we won't get the GDP growth we want as if the GDP is more important than the people and um, they're forever worried about whether we're going to have enough people to get the work done when duh, in the last 40 or 50 years we've started to perfect robots so um, but yeah the the, the, the the general trend has been and this is a, a global trend and it's the opposite of what Malthus believed back in the 1800s he believed that any extra food would turn up as more babies that the lower class would simply go out there and procreate and therefore any increase in income in, in income would lead to more children and in fact we found the opposite increases in per capita income have led to a decline in the number of children which of course has become even more marked since we've had some capacity to control fertility well, and that in, in, in itself is an argument, isn't it, for why, uh, you know, we should try and industrialise nations or, uh, or increase the wealth of nations as much as we possibly can, because it will help provide sustainable populations. Yeah, in fact, I had a fun, an interesting conversation decades ago before I actually became an academic with uh, Roy Morgan, a research poll. I was actually working with them, with the, of all things, the Freedom Hunger campaign some time ago. And uh, there's a very, very bright guy there, probably retired by now, hopefully he's still alive and kicking, uh, who explained to me that he was involved in a public relations campaign in India to try to promote lower population growth. And my main argument was, and this, this is still the case, that a large reason why you have children when you're a very poor uh, landless labourer even uh, or even a small peasant farmer is that they, that's free labour mm. and you actually get work done that way and in fact the low, low income leads to a need for more more hands uh, to, to, to try to produce enough food to stay alive but there's also the sociological stuff that goes with this what, whatever the origin of these um, social trays are um, one thing which comes out of out of the, the particular you know, high rate of population growth is an argument, well, that's showing how virile you are, and that's really important as a male. And um, the public relations campaigns trying to promote them, saying, look, if you have less kids, 
um, you'll have uh, more income. That never worked. So what this very clever marketing guy decided to do is say, look, okay, you, you, yes, you, yes, you, yes, you're very virile. Yes, your wife getting pregnant is uh, you know really good for your, your image as, as a, a sexual athlete. Uh, but, you know, she's harassed by all the kids. You don't have a decent time. So why don't you just space them a bit longer? Have a longer break between children. And that campaign actually worked fairly well. Of course, having a longer break between children means less children. Mm, yeah, uh, which is which is a good thing. Uh, two is a maximum, I think. I can't imagine having any more than that. But look, let's look at this GDP argument. How many have you got? Two. Uh, let's look. <laughs> of, course, of course, I'm more than capable of producing many more. I don't want anyone, you know, to That's anyone just to think otherwise. Just, just, check, just checking to see whether you're rational as well as virile. <laughs> now, look, let's look at the UK as, a, as an example. And I want to examine this GDP <clears throat> argument a bit further. So we've got 65 million people in the UK. If it continued growing at 0.8% in 20 years, that 65 million people would be 75 million people. That's an extra mm. 10 million people. They are going to add to consumption. They're going to pay taxes if, if, if that's important, and, and maybe it isn't. Uh, maybe it's not so essential that we, we get revenue that way. Um, but certainly they're going to be consuming more. Uh, we can Obviously, we can grow as a population without those things. But for GDP to grow, we would need to be more productive, perhaps more robots. We'd need to invest more. We'd need to export more. You know, And in the UK, sadly, we seem to be struggling with all those things. So do we need more people in the UK really for that economy to prosper? Do we need GDP growth to come from people? And my, my feeling actually is no. I think that we've got to realise that there are two major at least two major reasons why that whole argument is just outdated the first is um it was fair enough to argue for rising population uh, to fuel armies back in the, the the colonial days that was a large part of the reason for settling america and australia was to have british born british loyal uh, people available to uh, fight in colonial wars um, so there's a population argument in that sort of society. There's a population argument when you have large amounts of, of uncommercialized land, which, of course, was the case for America for so long. But those days are well and truly over for virtually every country on the planet. And what we now have is, uh, first of all, an excessive uh, load on the planet per person, uh, beautifully captured in a piece of research called the Human Ecological Footprint. And on that basis, the UK is currently using 1.5 UKs per year. In other words, if you tried to work out um, what's, what, what is the level of human existence that can be reproduced on an annual basis by the UK uh, ecology, it ends up being... Uh, that we're consuming one and a half of those planets every year, mm. uh, which is seriously putting a load on the economy. You don't necessarily see it straight away. Uh, you can continue mining a resource until it collapses, and the collapse comes much faster because suddenly you get to the end of it, and that's that's that, that's 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 good by the um, sustainability of your society. But we've got those two problems. And with another issue about it, which is actually more relevant to the Australian situation. Um, which, of course, Australia is obsessed with trying to increase its uh, its population as a way of getting higher higher GDP growth. Um, you, when you have to, when you when you're putting in the sort of machinery, the sort of infrastructure you need for a growing population, you're doing what's called capital broadening. So you're increasing the number of road, the, the 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 number of kilometres your roads cover. You're increasing the number of schools, the number of um, 
of, of um, telecommunications outlets and so on. You're not improving the capability of each of those. You're not making the schools uh, with a deeper level of education. You're not improving the, the bandwidth of the, of the telecommunications unit. So you end up having more of the same rather than, rather than the same quantity but better quality. And that's something which I think we, we really haven't paid enough uh, attention to. Right. But, I mean, Australia is an interesting case, isn't it? Because it is quite a small population. It wasn't that long ago. In fact, 2010, when Kevin Rudd was uh, – he was, for those who don't know, he was Prime Minister once or twice. Uh, he argued for a big Australia. Uh, the population was going to go from 22 million back then to 36 million by 2050. I think that's still going to happen, whether it's policy or not. That's just the way the economy is growing. But this idea of a big Australia was huge, hugely unpopular with Australians, probably because of exactly what you've described. People were thinking, well, it's just going to make resources stretch further, not necessarily any better. But if Australia did reach 36 million people, uh, I mean, doesn't it create economies of scale as well? Doesn't it mean that there's more companies settled there of a certain size? Doesn't it create more job options? Doesn't it enable the Australia to, uh, to export a more diverse range of products and services because there'll be more demand domestically, which can then be expanded um, and, and exported? Doesn't it open the opportunity for economies of scale with government services and that sort of thing? Isn't, isn't there a point, in other words, where a population is just too small uh, for, another great example in Australia is it's difficult to have competition because uh, it's hard to have, you know, companies, sizable companies competing in, in the same industry because the domestic population is too small. So doesn't, isn't there a stage at where you've got to say, well, actually, you know, there's, a, there's an optimum population and perhaps Australia hasn't reached it yet? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, those are seriously good arguments in favour of a higher population because what really happens or what often promotes economic growth is having a, a larger scale of market. You're selling to, as you say, and you get economies of scale out of that. And the simplest illustration of that is always in, it, 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 the idea of what size blast furnace do you need. If you double the area of uh, or the, the, the uh, dimensions, you know, X, Y, Z dimensions of a blast furnace, you you you, you increase the amount of, of um, steel you need by a factor of four, but you increase the, the uh, volume by a factor of eight. So that's sort of uh, the, the scale effect of increasing, being able to support a larger scale of operations is a major issue for a country like Australia. The, uh, the trouble is it's done a pretty amateur job of handling that at all times all the way through. Uh, so, you know, r rather than actually... Uh, when, when it had a chance to promote economies of scale, instead it taught, took in far too many car companies, all of which are now shut down. Mm. So um, that, that, is the, that, is, that is the frustration. Yes, it does make sense to talk in terms of economies of scale as a, as a basis for increasing the, um, increasing the population of a country. Um, but the only country which have done that effectively, uh, of course, the United States, uh, there's a large argument as to why China's been successful on the same front. And this is, I've seen this well argued by an American, I've forgotten the name of the American Heritage Foundation or some group like that. And they've argued, and one of the reasons they argue for the uh, success of the American economy on a global scale over the last one and a half centuries is that it is a continental landmass uh, where there's an enormous basin in the middle between the two major mountain ranges. And therefore, as you extend, you don't strike any barriers which increase your costs. 
um, you know, like if you've got to go over a mountain range to, to connect your markets together, that's a lot harder to do than if you have a, a set of planes. And that sort of explanation is why a country like uh, America has uh, you know, developed to this the scale that it is, whereas a country like Papua New Guinea has developed the world's largest number of languages and the world's most backward economy. So you do need those economies of scale to some point. But uh, even with a country like Australia, when you take a look at that ecological footprint and say what what is what's uh, what a number of people is it actually supporting? Because it has such a high, high focus on export industries, in both in food and also raw materials. The actual population Australia is supporting is a lot larger than the number of people actually live there. Yeah, but the but that power consumption, uh, you know, and, and, and Australia has very high power consumption per capita. But it, that is growing far faster than the rate of population growth. I mean, if we look at the UK, for example, power consumption I think is growing about eight percent per year. We've got zero point eight percent growth in population so uh you know certainly more people is is a factor on how much uh, energy is consumed and how sustainable that is but the bigger issue is how much the people who are already here are consuming yeah and um the consumption pressure is a major issue for the uh, for, for each of those economies i'm actually as I'm, I'm, I'm tapping in the background trying to find the data for uh, the UK in this uh, global footprint network to give you an idea on, uh, in the UK's case of the the scale of um, of um, burden we're putting upon the planet and in very thoughtfully the, the software package makes it almost impossible to locate the UK <laughs> so pardon me clicking away here That's and trying right. to while find you, it. While you, while, you click away, okay. while you click away let me just reiterate that yeah, question in, it, in a different way I guess I mean my yeah. point is uh, look they're both growing the, the population of the UK and it's the same in most western nations and energy consumption but one is far greater than the other I mean if you could control the power consumption uh, just a little bit then you'd more than compensate for the growth in population so it's it, I'm, I'm, no I'm not, you don't know this is one area where i'm in support uh, the arguments in favor of population control both on a on a domestic level in countries like the uk and australia and also uh, on a global level because again the the, the best study uh, very very derided but by far the best study that's ever been done to take a look at the interacting impact of uh, human pressure, population pressure on the planet uh, pollution pressure uh, industrialization effect on on food output and so on is the limits growth in 1972 mm. and when they the, the, everybody sort of talked about it being you know this being a doom and gloom well you know doom and gloom is looking <laughs> a lot closer than it was 50 years ago however they did try to find scenarios that would meant you would have a capacity for an increasing level of per capita income indefinitely and in every one of the scenarios, if they didn't control the population, they couldn't reach that outcome. So reducing population growth was an essential element of getting to the stage where you have a sustainable load on the planet. And I think that's still valid. So, uh, and to give you an idea of just how far we've gone past that point, I've now finally located the uh, population pressure, uh, or the, the, the pressure that the current population of the UK is putting on the sustainable outcome output of the UK biomass over time for supporting humans we're currently using 2.96 uk's every year in the uk that's not quite as bad as the united states that's using five united states every year mm. uh, or even vanuatu is using two vietnam's on 0.97 um, so this data is 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 a classic wake-up call which of course in the classic human sense we're completely ignoring until after the issue comes through even on that front uh, Oh boy, this is actually worse than I thought. Australia comes out as using uh, 
mainly because of its carbon contribution. That won't surprise you in the least. Uh, 5.16 Australians every yeah. year. Yeah. So, so twice, twice as bad as the in, twice in as sense, bad as the UK, yeah. where they're all bad. But I mean, if uh, but I mean these Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Yeah. But, the, but the Club of Rome, and I'm sure we've had this conversation before. I mean, the the limits to growth. That Club of Rome uh, report, um, you know, was was largely saying we were going to run out of food, and uh, and yet production techniques have meant that we that we haven't. No, no, it, what? No, let's get the. This is not going to be a channel for broadcasting myths. You did not say running out of food. Uh, the the overall outcome was 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 pretty pretty much pollution related. Uh, that's always been the if you if you look at the mm. uh, the impact of the the, the the various scenarios and what they what they call the uh, the business as usual scenario, uh, the main impact on that was increasing death rates. True, uh, but it was due to a combination of pollution pollution impacts and then the amount of industrial land reducing the amount of land for agrarian output. So there was, there was that component there. But pollution has played a major role all the way through. And on that basis, uh, you know, clearly what we're seeing in terms of car- the carbon level, which was ultimately that's the main form of pollution we're doing to the planet. Uh, that's the main one where we're well and truly past the sustainable limits virtually every planet, virtually every country on the planet. Right. Angola's okay. That's only using half an Angola every year. Anybody want to move to Angola? No, well, I mean, that, so that is the point. Can you can you point to a place where there isn't population growth, where we where we are using uh, uh, the planet sustainably, where we are seeing economic growth? I mean, if we well, this is actually this is an intriguing one. Where, where, where would you put Bangladesh on the scale? Do you think using more than one Bangladesh or less than one Bangladesh? I'd imagine they're using less because they were less developed. Yeah, basically that's it. So the, the population itself isn't the main pressure. It's the amount of energy being used per head. And Bangladesh is coming in at the 0.44 with a, with a trivial carbon uh, impact compared to countries like the UK, Australia and America and well, that, so on. Well, that doesn't, doesn't that get back to my point earlier then that, uh, that you dismissed, that it's actually the, power cons- the increase in power consumption per co- capita that is a bigger issue than actually the increase in population. Can't we? Yes, okay. You've if, got me there, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we could find a way, if there was a need to increase the, po- the population and, and let's get get to that in in a second but if you found a way of you know the quantum of the growth in power consumption versus the growth of the population in, in western nations um is is so much greater that if you can fi- if you can fix it actually fixing it to cope with the, the growth in population as well um the quantum is quite small but it sounds like the the other argument as well is land I mean, you talked about how in the U.S., you know, they're able to expand because of land. The common argument in places like the U.K. and even in Australia, where there's lots of land, is uh, when you talk about uh, population growth and migrants, you know, the common argument is go away, we're full. Um, so is land constraint is, is, is the bigger issue, isn't it? If, if more people move in, then they're going to take away a bit of my turf. Um, yeah, well, it's also transportation issues because, again, most of us live in cities. I mean, if you, what you've identified is the point that we were talking about a few weeks ago, the role of energy here. Mm. But the major form of increase in living standards is the increase in energy consumption per head. And if we went back to the level of income in Bangladesh, uh, then with the level of energy consumption we're talking about is so much lower that it's not yet an effective burden on the planet, but this is intriguing in one way because one other uh, popular book at the time that was often misidentified as being what the Limits to Growth actually had to say was Paul Ehrlich's *The Population Bomb*, 
And um, on that basis, looking at that uh, that argument, the, the ecological footprint contradicts Ehrlich's arguments because he saw people being the main pressure on the on the planet. If that were true, then Bangladesh would have a score well over one. As I said, it's got a score of 0.44. Uh, Belgium, which is nowhere near as heavily populated as as, as well, actually it's close in some ways to Bangladesh. Um, they've got a they've got a burden four times the scale, four uh, four four Belgians per year. So that's the and it's mainly the carbon footprint again that's giving us that impact. So yes, it, there is this issue about the amount of energy per head. But the trouble is to fix the energy per head, we re- we reduce the effective standard of living. Right. Getting back to the question, though, and I, I see that energy is... Oh, is come a, on. It's I, a bit tough. Sorry. <laughs> but it's, I can see that energy is the, is the prime consideration here. Uh, and look, yeah. we're, we're going to look at that in our next podcast. But can you grow with a static population? Is there, are there cases of, of populations in the developed yeah. world where the populations remain relatively static, but we're still seeing economic growth? Even Japan is a classic on that front. Japan, even though it's had a, a financial crisis back in 1990, and it's mainly not growing because of constrained investment by its corporations, courtesy of their level of corporate debt, uh, they have still had a per capita increase in income over the last 25 years, whereas in the in generally in the West that hasn't been achieved. And a large part of how they've achieved their per capita input is they've got a larger level of robotics in their manufacturing. They don't actually need the, the uh, human labor to produce that increase in output per capita. Okay, so the ideal would be something like that, where we have relatively static populations. So, but yeah. the, the, the the issue, of course, within that is then then becomes what's the what's the age makeup of that? What's the demographics? Because you're going to have uh, you don't want to have an aging population. You need you, you need people who are still uh, uh, economically productive. But you've also got the issue about shifts around the world as well. So we've talked in the past about how people are leaving Greece um, at an alarming rate, and uh, people moving from you know places where the economy isn't quite so strong to go to where the economy is better and look if we look at the uh, the overall population of the world it's growing at 1.2 percent per year that actually doesn't sound so bad does it but when we look at where the growth is actually happening obviously most of the growth is really happening in 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 countries in africa uh countries that can't necessarily support that growth so you have people dying or people jumping on boats and moving to other parts of the world where they think their life is is, is going to be better so that's the, I guess that's the, uh, that's the other order of magnitude, isn't it? How do we cope if we want a static population? Can we have it? Because there's always going to be people who want to move to where the economy is better and the living standards are greater. Well, I think we can, we can have it. But we, you know, again, this is the issue of just how well are we sharing this wealth and the energy the per capita that's in, ending up in countries like, like the UK, uh, like America, compared to the energy per capita in countries like Gabon, then obviously... Uh, we, we're so much uh, better provided with the energy levels up here and we're not suffering uh, it, to any extent the level of ecological displacement that's actually turning up in places like Gabon as temp- the temperature level rises. So um, we're getting to the point where we're going to have to seriously think about how we manage the planet, both in terms of population and energy, and we're, doing a pre- we're not doing a job whatsoever on either of those fronts. And that's, that's the real dilemma I think we face, that we, we're just sailing towards a situation where one or the other uh, breakdown is going to occur. Population shifts rather than population growth from people moving out of areas which are ecologically contaminated by what we're doing to the overall biosphere. Uh, and then uh, in, 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 the, in the West, 
uh, people complaining about a lack of income because they're largely their energy per head has stopped growing back in 2000, but it's still going to some people at the top. Mm. So that gets down to, you know, getting back to that GDP question. If GDP is the thing that we uh, we all want, and I guess that's a fundamental question, isn't it? do we all want GDP growth to be uh, the thing we aspire for in life? But if we're not growing GDP by growing the number of people, then we are either becoming more productive, and that probably means using up more energy, uh, or we're, or we're consuming more, and or we're consuming more. And of course, if we're consuming more, then we, uh, we're probably consuming more energy as part of that process as well. So if the population's not growing, then energy consumption per capita probably has to grow, doesn't it, to, to meet that GDP expectation? Yeah, or you've got to be more efficient in how you handle it. And this, again, uh, is, is areas where turning over from, from fossil-based fuel towards uh, solar has one issue in terms of a lower energy return on energy investing, but it has a, another return in terms of less processing necessary to go from the uh, actual energy input itself to where the energy is used. So... Um, we, we face some serious challenges, but I think one of them, certainly for the next uh, century, has to be that we've got to get populate. We've got to accept falling populations. And I'm not really complaining about, uh, um, well, if you think even a 1% rate of growth of populations are going to double the human population on the planet in 69 years. Yeah. So we'd be talking going from 9 to 18 billion people. Uh, we, again, work that I've done, just very, very simple work taking uh, the, the basically saying there's a carrying capacity for the planet in terms of how many of a particular species it can handle. You get a sigmoid relationship out of that. I remember doing the numbers on that about uh, 20 years ago, and I was doing my work on modelling Minsky, and I came out with a, uh, given that trajectory of a, a sigmoidal growth in population, a sustainable level of the planet uh, in terms of uh, like carrying capacity for the planet, hitting out at about 9 billion. Now, uh, that's pretty much where we are now. Mm. So the thought of handling 18 billion people on the planet, uh, particularly if they want to use the energy per head that Americans use, um, you know, we've got some serious dilemmas that we're not addressing, put it that way. Right. And, and finally then, for Australia, getting back to that point, has it, is it the same for them? Or is, is that a nation that perhaps could do with economies of scale? It needs, needs to be a bit bigger. In other words, was Kevin Rudd right? At least a little bit. It'd be nice if he was right on something. No, I don't know. They're not, I'm not going to be in a hurry to agree with Kevin Rudd. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, in that section of that front just recently, uh, Dick Smith, an Australian entrepreneur, has launched a, a population control policy for, the, for Australia. And I think that's valid. We're, we're looking at in the country at the moment, in terms of this ecological footprint, looks like it may even be the world leader. I wasn't aware of this. I thought it would be much lower. But it's using five Australias per year in terms of the sustainable load, mainly coming out of its carbon output, which mainly reflects, of course, its mining of coal and exporting of coal. Um, I imagine these figures are actually re- relating the coal production to the source of it rather than where that coal is actually consumed because most of it gets shipped offshore. But that's an enormous uh, strain upon the, the biosphere. Australia, again, Australia can't, uh, can't claim that we've got a small population, therefore we have a small burden. Given what it's done with the land it has, I think it's time it gave up on population growth and worried about uh, increasing its per capita of productivity. So and still, two cities of four million people each are big cities. This is, this, yeah. Cities are where this, where this economy is going to occur. And four to five million people per major city, with two of them, that's not small. So a very quick, uh, very quick answer to this question, then, because we're running out of time, uh, and it's a, it's a very simple yeah. question: How do we control population growth? Then, <laughs> in a minute. Yeah, well, a large part, a large part comes back to the idea of, of getting prosperity without needing your children to have it. So that's that's mm. the uh, 
the, the argument that was being made in developing countries, the higher level of income means a lower level of desire to have kids because you don't need them for income anymore. I think that's probably the major issue. But that doesn't apply to the West, does it? So how do, how, how do we... Because uh, well, The West has got a declining population. Mm. The, the West has a declining population, and that's its advantage. It's, it's, it's certainly countries like Italy have maxed out, and now it's a case of stop panicking about it, get used to it, and adjust the world in that fashion. And by the way, just looking at that list, Australia's number three on the world uh, consumption of, uh, of, of, uh, of Earths per Earth. The lead is Luxembourg with 7.68, and the second place is Qatar at 7.53 Qatars per, Qatar per year. Australia's running at five. Um, well, Qatar and, and Australia will have, have air conditioning in common, don't they? I'm sure that's a big chunk of... Uh, that may indeed be. Mm. Air conditioning and exporting energy. Yeah. That's, and that's what's our, which, of course, is our next topic. Okay, absolutely. I was going to say, a good segue into when we next talk. Energy and growth. Uh, do we need more of one to get the other one? We'll talk about that next time. Good to talk, Steve. Okay, bye. And uh, by the way, you're all, always welcome to suggest topics uh, that you'd like us to discuss on these podcasts as well, as you're a subscriber to the Debunking Economics podcast. Uh, just leave us a comment um, wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. There's a, an opportunity to leave comments. Tell us what you'd like to hear or if you'd like to make any points on today's podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. That was Steve King. We'll be back again soon when we look at energy and growth next time on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.